Today we're going to continue in our study uh, entitled Explore God, and today's message is entitled Can I Know God uh, Personally? Our text is John chapter 7. We'll read from this text in a moment, but I've so much enjoyed studying with you and along with 350 plus other pastors and churches in the uh, greater Austin area. And so next week we're going to uh, continue. I know many uh, churches will wrap up today, but we're going to continue through next week and then on into November the 3rd in this initiative called uh, Explore God. Again, let me welcome you today. I'm so glad that you're here. I know that we have many uh, guests uh, that have come. People have invited you and you have come to Great Hills. I've heard personal stories of this already. And we do hope that you uh, make yourself at home. You're among friends here. We are glad that you're here. And uh, we are a Bible-believing, Christ-loving church, and uh, we're just honored to have you as our, as our guest today. In the Gospel of John, there is a, there's a wonderful story as Jesus Christ uh, just gets caught up in this uh, story at the Feast of the Tabernacle there in the holy city of Jerusalem. And as I was studying this message this week, I, I've never preached on this particular text, and so as I was studying and as I was reading, I'm... There were two words that just kept coming to the forefront of my mind, and those words are intrigue and story. Intrigue and story. I, I was so intrigued with this particular uh, narrative about the life of Christ. And he, he says something there in verse 17 that really arrested me. It's almost like I'd never seen this before. And I wanted to bring a message today, and I hope that you're intrigued, and I hope that uh, this story captures and captivates your heart uh, like it did mine. You know, in Christianity, it's counterintuitive. It's very different that you believe and then you see. It's not that you see and then you believe, but that you believe, you have faith, and you trust, and then you see, and then you understand. Jesus put it like this. He said, whoever wills to do the Father's will, that person will then understand uh, his doctrine. Let me say that again. That is so important. That's really the thesis and the premise of my message today. Jesus said, if you will to do the Father's will, if there is faith, if there is a childlike trust in you there, then you will understand. It's like this. It's like God says, if you will, in your own microcosmic way, if you will understand and have belief, then God will open up the vista, the macro view. You can see the panoramic view. If you believe, then God will just bless you and He will reveal so very much to you. So today's message is, is, is a question. It's a rhetorical question. Can a mere mortal, finite human being literally know the God of the universe, the God who has created everything that is, the all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, awesome God that He is, eternal God that He is, so transcendent, so awesome and holy. Can we as finite, mere mortal human beings, is there any way, do we have any spiritual capacity whereby we can know this God? And the answer, if you believe the Bible and if you believe the story of Christ, then obviously the answer is a resounding yes. And God has not left Himself uh, without multiple witnesses. I think about the witness of Scripture, the witness of nature, the witness of history, and the witness of the moral conscience of man. All of those things point to a greater, higher power than us. And of course, we believe and we acknowledge that that higher power is 
is not a, a, just a somewhere out there kind of figure, but it's the Almighty God who has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, and He reveals Himself today through the preaching of His Word. So I'm going to read for you uh, John chapter 7. I'll begin in verse 14, and I'll go through verse 18. And I want you to keep these two words in mind as we study today, the word intrigue and the word story. Now about the middle of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus went up into the temple and He taught. He went up into the temple of Jerusalem. And can I say, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was absolutely jam-packed with people. Innumerable people had come from all over, all over Israel especially, and they, they landed in Jerusalem in the holy city, and they were in the temple, and it was a festive, joyous occasion because it was one of the three famous holy feasts of the Jews. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Jews marveled, and they said, how does this man know letters, having never studied? And they're talking about Jesus. How can he be so eloquent? How can he be so knowledgeable? How could he have so much wisdom, and yet he is never enrolled in one of our rabbinical schools? And then Jesus answered them, and he said, my doctrine, my didache, uh, which means uh, to teach, my doctrine, my teaching is not mine, but it is His who sent me. And then He says this intriguing, powerful statement, this dogmatic statement within a context of a greater story as He's in Jerusalem. If anybody wills to do God's will, if anybody, male female, Gentile, Jew, it does not matter who you are, if you will, if there is a residue of faith and trust and belief in Almighty God, if, if you want to know Him, if you want to do His will, then Jesus says, you will know. Then you will know. You will understand the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. So today, we're going to look at this very fascinating passage of Scripture. And, you know, I just love when God does this. I just love to learn. As y'all know, I am a perpetual learner. I'm a constant reader. I love reading and absorbing information. In fact, I'm reading a book that Rob Hatley recommended called uh, Ideas That Stick, and I'm toward the end of this book. It's written by two brothers, uh, a Stanford Business School professor and a Duke University School professor, uh, professor of business. And as I'm reading this book, they literally have a title within the book called Story, S-T-O-R-Y, The Power of Story, and stories are captivating. There's something about the way God has created us and that we love a good story. And the Bible contains the story of all stories, the story of God's creation, the fall of man, God's redeeming man, and then God renewing everything. And that is what we call the grand epical story. The grand epic, that is the meta-narrative, if you will. That is the macro, the big story of creation, fall, Renewal, redemption, 
and then renewal. And God is showing me this week in my study that, yes, that is the macro epic meta-narrative, but all of us have our micro-stories, our micro-narratives. And my desire today as a simple preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that you will take your microcosmic story, you will take your mere mortal being story, and that you will open up your eyes and say, God, I believe. God, I trust you. I, I want to serve you, and I want to do your will. And then God in that moment takes your story, and he envelops it in his macro, awesome, epic meta-narrative, and you become a part of God's plan for your life and his plan for this world. And so today, again, this is a different message, by the way. This is not a a deductive, didactic, point, sub-point kind of message. You may have noticed that as you have your outline there of of your insert. This is more of an inductive message. This is a message where there is no points and subpoints. It is a it is a story. And this message is a story. It's a narrative. And my desire, my goal is is that God will sweep you up into this intriguing macro narrative and that he will he will see you at your point of belief. That you will be in a place of trust and then you will see what God would have you to see. And God's amazing. I mean, he He doesn't say, oh, okay, let me reveal everything to you. Let me show you everything so that you will believe in me. God does not do that. And if you think that you're just special and that God owes that to you, you're going to miss him completely. God doesn't work that way. God says, no, you have to trust. you got to believe. you got to be willing, and then I will reveal my will to you. He's awesome. I mean, he is just almighty. He does not change the rules just for us. No, he is the rule maker, and we are his abiding uh, people. I want to read verse 17 uh, again. If anybody wills to do his will, he shall know. If you will, if you believe, you will know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So this, this text is within a greater context. So let's, let's try to capture the context of our text today. Verse 14 talks about the Feast of the Tabernacle. Besides Passover and unleavened bread, this is, this is a very powerful... And in fact, some people that I've read this week said this was the most popular of all the feasts. The Feast of the booths, the feast of the tabernacles. And what this means is, in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were on their way uh, to Israel, to the promised land, the land in which, by the way, they are currently located in the text and in today, they went through the time of wilderness wanderings, and God, He provided for them. Even though they were stiff-necked and very stubborn people, God provided for them and their posterity and led them through 40 years of meandering and wandering around. You can read this in the book of Exodus. And God led them into the promised land. And the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths commemorates that, memorializes that. Every year the Jews had the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they would literally construct these makeshift tents, if you will, these little booths and tabernacles. And they would be proliferated all over the temple precinct, All over Jerusalem, the Jews would come, and it was a party, if you will. They just celebrated, and they thanked God for seven consecutive days. 
And they celebrated the fact that God preserved them, that God blessed them in the wilderness wanderings. But there's another important factor to the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that is, it celebrated the harvest, the end of the harvest. And so the Jews, they come together and they're just excited and and the place is packed. and, And Jesus now, he makes his way to Jerusalem and he goes right into the temple. And there he is in verse 14 where it says, In the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach them. Verse 15. In your Bibles, and if we can put this back on the PowerPoint, that would be great. I'm just going to walk us through these these, uh, scriptures. I'm in uh, John 7, 15. And the Jews marveled. That word marvel means to wonder and to be in awe. And it's in the imperfect tense in the Greek New Testament, which is very significant. The imperfect tense says continuous action in past time. And we read it through the English lens, and it just says, well, they marveled as if they marveled, and they got over it, and they didn't get over it. They kept on marveling. They kept on being in awe, and they kept wondering, when's the last time? When's the last time you were in awe of God? That you just stood and basked in His glory and in His his eternality and in His awesomeness and in His omniscience and His omnipotence And in his almightiness, when's the last time that we just stood in awe of Almighty God? And they did that. When they looked at Christ, the Bible says they marveled at him. They were in awe of him because we all thought he was just a peasant boy. We just thought he was a a young man from Nazareth. Nobody, nowhere, nothing, Nazareth. And here he comes. Oh, my land, we've never heard teaching like this. He speaks as if he has authority. And yet, did, did he enroll in your rabbinical school? No, not mine. How about yours? Has he, did he get his degrees from your, uh, from your synagogue? No. He didn't go to anybody's synagogue. He didn't go to anybody's rabbinical school. But he confounded them. He taught in such a way that people were bewildered, and they were like, who is this guy? In verse 15, they marveled. And in verse 16, Jesus answered them. Oh, my. In verse 16, with a captivating crowd and an opportunity to speak, Jesus answered them and said, verse 16, My doctrine is not mine. Wow. That's one of the reasons I'm so impressed with Christ. I don't read this in Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Joseph Smith. I don't read this in all the readings that I have done. I've never read a religious leader who would immediately deflect attention off of him and put it on the one who sent him. Deeply embedded in the DNA of Christianity is a spirit of selflessness It is a spirit of laying your pride aside and and reflecting that glory and honor and praise and reputation that you receive and just saying thanks but no thanks because there is one greater than me. And that's what Christ is saying. He's saying, no, listen to me. My doctrine is not mine, but it is from Him. And maybe Jesus, as He's teaching, maybe, maybe He looks up into heaven and says, it is my Father who has sent me with hands raised to the heavens, and people are going, who is this guy? Man, that is, in, that is amazing. And Jesus deflects that attention and that praise, and he says, and now that I have your attention, let me tell you this. 
in verse 17. If anybody wills to do his will, he shall know. He shall know. In other words, do you want to know him? Do you want to know the one who sent me, the Father, the Creator of all? If you want to know him, then here's what you must do. You must be willing to follow him, and you must be willing to believe in him, and believe in the one who's, whom he sent me, and then you will begin to understand. It's, this is just intriguing to me, by the way. This is just absolutely powerful teaching from the Word of God as Jesus speaks to them then and to us uh, today. So, as I was reading a couple of my favorite authors and writers this week, uh, Dr. D.A. Carson and F.F. F. Bruce, these are prominent New Testament scholars. Carson says this about verse 17. He said, the seeker must be fundamentally committed to doing God's will. I quote, you must be willing to do God's will. This is a faith commitment. God then fills the seeker's horizon. If you believe, then God will open up that meta-narrative, that macro view, that epic story. God opens it up when you believe and when you trust. God says, welcome, and now I will illuminate you. I will help you understand because you came on my terms and you came in faith, simple childlike trust, and because you believe, now you understand. Oh, this is amazing. This is very intriguing to me. This whole narrative, this whole story as Jesus is teaching. And then another writer, F.F. F. Bruce, says this. If there be a, read, a readiness, if, if, if you are eager and you have a spirit of alacrity about you and you have a readiness and an eagerness about you to do the will of God, the capacity for discerning God's message will follow. I'm telling you, that is, that is deep. That is profound. Let me read it again. If there be a readiness to do the will of God, the capacity for discerning God's message will follow. Do you catch the sequence? It's not God's going to show you everything and reveal everything. Why would you have to have faith? Why would faith be so necessary? And that's the way God works. I know it's counterintuitive. He said if there is a willingness and you're open and you would obey me and you would trust me, then you will discern God's message. Whoever has that readiness of heart will recognize in the teaching of Jesus a message which authenticates itself to spiritual perception and conscience as the truth. I know that's a little deep for 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let me read it again. Whoever has that readiness of heart who will recognize in the teaching of Jesus a message with authenticity which authenticates itself to spiritual perception and conscience as the truth. In other words, here's how I would summarize it. Seeing, doing, believing leads to knowledge. The question today is, can a man, can a woman, can a teenager, can a boy or a girl know Almighty God? And the answer is yes in the affirmative if you are willing to see, willing to obey, willing to trust, then God will reveal himself. So verse 18, I'll conclude this part of the sermon. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. 
That is so powerful. That is so true. Everybody speaks from himself. We seek our own glory. I mean, I've never yet a pastor, I've never met a person, I've never met anybody who did not somehow, in some way, seek a residue, at least a, a, a infinitesimally small it may be, but deep within the heart of man there is a desire to be recognized and to be praised and to be lifted up. And Jesus says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. In fact, that's 99.9, all of us, but watch this. But he, talking about himself, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Come now. Do y'all follow this? Or, or is anybody else intrigued at least a little bit by this? Your, your spiritual spirituality has been piqued just, just a little bit when Jesus says, I'm unlike everybody else. Everybody else seeks their own glory. Everybody else wants to make a name for themselves. I am here, in Philippians 2 fashion, I am here to lay all that aside. I am here to, 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 to die for you. I am here to show you the Father's love. And in order for you to see it, you got to be at least willing to follow it. It's, this is amazing, amazing teaching. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Now for the word story. The first part of this sermon, if you will, is all about intrigue. At least it is uh, for me. And the rest of the sermon has to do with story. Over the next few minutes, as I segue to story, I'm just going to tell you some stories. I, I, I believe Chip and Heath uh, are right. I think there is something very powerful about narrative, about story. In fact... I can be teaching away up here, and I can give you all the Greek and the Hebrew and the systematic theology that I can, and some of you start dozing on me. I tell you, start going, brother, I'm losing you. I'm telling you, I ate too much eggs and bacon this morning and biscuits, amen, and I'm cozied up right now, and you're going to lose me. But as soon as I say, let me tell you a story, you go, honey, what did he just say? Did he say something about a story? I'm a, I think I'm interested now. We were all interested in, in stories, and so I'm going to tell you a few I'm going to tell you a few stories about those who willed to do the Father's will, and then they understood. The first one is the story of Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, one of the most amazing, revealing passages in all the Bible, it says this about Abraham. Abraham believed in God, and it was imputed to him as righteousness. Did you get that? In Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, I am sending you out. I'm going to take you to a place that you've never seen. Are you willing, Abraham? Are you willing to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and Iraq? And are you willing to go on over to the land that I'm going to show you? By the way, you've never seen it. In fact, you don't even really know where you go. You don't even know where you are going. Abraham, are you listening? Are you willing? Are, do you want to will to do my will? Are you open to believe? Are you open to trust? Are you open to faith? Abraham, what saith thou? And Abraham says, I am. And God says, then come on. And man, the rest is Hebrew, Jewish, antiquity, and history. It all centers around that man Abraham because he believed God. He trusted God. He didn't know. He couldn't see it all. He couldn't understand it all. No, that would come later. And so exhibit A, story A, is Abraham. Let me tell you a little bit about Moses. It's the same thing. 80-year-old, tongue-tied, stuttering shepherd 
on the backside of Midian. And God appears to him and says, I am the great I am. Moses, I'm going to send you on a journey, buddy. You're about to go back to Egypt, and you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is going, say what? What, what, what is that? You talking to me? And God says, I'm not stuttering. I'm talking to you. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. Hey, Aaron, where in the world is Aaron when you need him? Aaron, my brother, get over here. That bush has something to say to you because I can't do this. I'm not. No, no, no. I can't do it. And God says, Moses, listen to me, Moses. I'm talking to you. You are the man. You are the man. And I'm going to put my anointing and my, my favor on you. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses is going, oh, Lord, please don't do this to me. You're killing me. I, there's no way. Just, 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 just listen to me, Lord. I can't even speak. And you want me to go? And God says, I want you to go. Will you go? And Moses says, I will. And the rest is history. He went. God used him. Miracle after miracle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, Moses cried. And then the waters parted and they went to the other side. God delivered again. Why? Did, why? Because he believed. I wonder what waters God is ready to part in your life if you'd only believe. If you'd only trust him. If you'd only humble your proud heart before a holy God and say I can't figure this out I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't understand and God says I know you're not until you believe and I come on through the Old Testament I think about two heroines of the faith some of my favorite stories these ladies have entire books named after them in the Old Testament Hebrew canon of scripture somebody help me who am I talking about? Ruth and Esther. And so Ruth is coming out of Moab. And Naomi, her mother-in-law, is leading the way. Orpah is going, hey, it's been good, and God bless you, Naomi, but I'm, I'm heading on back to Moab. And Naomi says, good, you should. And Ruth, so should you. And Naomi's walking on back to Israel. And Miss Persistence says, oh, no, ma'am. I can't go back. I just can't go back to Moab. I, I'm following you, Naomi. I'm, I'm coming right behind you. And she says, no, honey, you, you don't understand. I, there ain't no babies coming out of this woman no more. I, I can't, even if I were to have a baby today and, and he grows up, you're, you're not going to marry him. That's just the way things work back then. So she was telling him, no, she was telling her, no, you can't. And Ruth said these words in 116, and I quote it every time I marry somebody. It says, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Here it is. And your God will be my God. And Naomi looks at Ruth and goes, Oh, my word, you are determined. You will to know the Father's will. And so come with me. Ah, Ruth. Did you know? God blessed her socks off with a handsome hunk of a man named Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth had babies. And in the posterity of them babies, the great grandbaby of Ruth and Boaz was, uh, was David, King David. And King David, by the way, is in the lineage of King Jesus. 
So here you have this Moabitess Gentile woman named Ruth, and she is in the precious blood lineage of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And it's all because, listen to me, listen to me carefully. It's all because she said, I believe in your God. I can't understand all about your God, but at least I'm willing to trust and believe in Him. And Naomi says, come. And then there's Esther. I was reading through the book of Esther again this week in preparation for this story message, this narrative message. And as I was reading Esther, I was so intrigued again because God's name is never mentioned in the entire book. Nothing about God in the book, but God's all over the book. And that's kind of the way God is today. A lot of times you think, well, where is he? He's everywhere. And if he would just do, no, 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 he's everywhere. And, and Esther and her godly uncle Mordecai, they devised a plan whereby old Haman, the bad guy, is going to get captured and, and things are going to be great. But Esther doesn't know any of that. All she knows is, is she's going to go into the presence of, uh, of, of the king, who's Sarah. She's going to go into his presence and she tells the Jews, she goes, listen to me, ladies, fast for me. Three days don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Fast for me, and I'm going to fast, and, and I'm going to pray because I'm going to the king, and I just might die. But if I die, I die, and I'm going to go and do what I think I ought to do. And then Mordecai says, honey, let me tell you, it could be that God has raised you up for such a time as this. And in the climactic moment, in the banquet, in the feast, and there's the king, and there's Haman, and there she is, in all of her beauty, and all of her grandeur, this beautiful Queen Esther. She goes in obedience to God, and God delivers her and delivers all of her people. All because one person believed and had faith, trusted God. Have you ever noticed that we come to God, we don't have anything to bargain with. We don't have anything. But we enter into this relationship with Him by faith. And then we maintain that relationship. We continue that relationship. Stay with me now. The same way we entered the relationship. And that's through faith. I come to the New Testament. Only just a couple of highlights. By the way, this is not a 58-minute one, okay? It's, if you were here last week, one of my dear friends and brothers in the church, not to mention any names, Ralph, but he came up to me. And he goes, 58 minutes. You just preached 58 minutes. And he hugged my neck. And I thought, bless your soul. Hug my neck for preaching 58 minutes. Not all of y'all hugged my neck last week. I'm telling you, not, not many, not many. So anyhow, it's not a 58-minute one. But I'm thinking in the, in the New Testament, there, there's so many examples. And, and two of my favorites would be Paul. Paul on the road to Damascus, ready to kill and execute every believer that he can find. He's... He, he, is, he is halted right there. He goes, who are you? Who, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus is there in his glory and in his power. And, and, and you know the rest of the story. Saul, he, he repents and he believes in Christ. And, and God raises him up. And now he becomes this ardent, incredible missionary and, and church planter. Here is this brilliant, erudite, you're talking about rabbinic schools, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee in the school of Gamaliel. He was a brilliant theologian, and yet he was against Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me, and, and he believes. And now, oh, now 
he writes over half of our New Testament. And in one of those books to the church at Philippi, we call it the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Here it is. He says, that I may know him. That I would know him. Do you know that is the same word, gnosko? That is the identical Greek word that Jesus used in John 7, 17 when he said, if any man wills to do his will, then he will know. He will gnosko. He will understand. Paul says it's true. It's all true. It's all true. I willed to do his will. I, I didn't bring anything with me but just simple faith and trust and repentance. And, say, and even that is a gift from God. He says, God, I trust you. I believe in you. And, and now I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And I want to know you even in the fellowship of your sufferings being conformed to your death. And then there's another story. There's a disciple. The Bible says he leaned upon Jesus' breast. And he is the disciple that Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loves all the disciples. But this one, they have a unique relationship. What's his name? His name is John. John the Beloved. In John 1, 37, he and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, are following John the Baptist. And as they're following John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, Whoa, Nellie, whoa, brothers. Hold on just a second. There he is. There he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You don't need to follow me no more, okay? There's the one you need to follow. And John was one. His name's not mentioned, but when you read it and you scratch beneath it and you start finding it, you realize that's John. And John follows Christ. And it's John, that is the only man that I read of the disciples who is at the cross of Christ with the ladies, with, with Jesus' mom, and it's John that Jesus looks at from the, from the cross and he says, Hey, John, this is your mother now. You take Mary and you treat her as if she's your mother. And he did. And it's John. It's John who believed and, and God revealed. And it's John who is able to say at the end of his gospel, this is what he said. Oh, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in my book. But these are written that you may believe, that you may trust, that you may, to use the words of Christ, will to do his will, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, look at it, you may have life in his name. Wow. Story after story after story I could share with you of people in antiquity, in history, biblical history, and then we can go from the first century all the way through the, the early church, patristic period. We can come on through the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. We can come on up to the Renaissance. We can come on up to the Reformation. We can come on up into the birth of America. Amen. And we can come on up through the Great Awakenings. I could tell you it wouldn't be a 58-minute one, brother. I promise you I'd be up here to the cows call me home or Whatever that saying means, there's a story behind that. And then I could just tell you story, 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 story. And I would never exhaust all the stories of God redeeming someone who believes. But I will share this story with you in closing. Rosario Butterfield. Rosario Butterfield. Her story is in Christianity Today, 2013. I think it's February 2013. 
Her story, the title of the story is this. My train wreck conversion. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then something happened. And she writes, stupid. We tell our kids, don't, don't say stupid. She says, stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus. Who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. As a professor of English and women's studies on the track to becoming a tenured radical, I cared about morality, justice, and compassion. I, was, I, I followed fervently the worldviews of Freud and Hegel and Marx and Darwin. I strove to stand with the disempowered. Y'all know anybody? Y'all know anybody like that? Y'all know any Mrs. Butterfields floating around? Austin is full of Mrs. Butterfields. Or may I say Miss Butterfields. When I, when I read her story, I was intrigued. That's why I'm, my whole message today is intrigue and story. I, I read her story. And as I read her life of promiscuity and immorality, it reminded me of C.S. Lewis's life. C.S. Lewis had sexual relations with his best friend's mom. Okay? I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. His best friend's about his age and mama a lot older. And he has this illicit relationship as this atheist professor. And, and I was reading his, I read his story not long ago. And I was reading Rosario's story. And I was like, boy, they would get along really good. They hate God. They love sex. They hate religion. They hate Christians. And they despise the Bible. Okay? That's, this is Rosario's story. I began researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me. To do this, I would need to read the one book that had, in my estimation, gotten so many people off track, the Bible, the dreaded Bible. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to demonstrate just how foolish those idiots are. While on the lookout for some Bible scholar to aid me in my research, I launched my first attack against the unholy trinity of Jesus, the Republican Party, and patriarchy. And I wrote in an article for the local newspaper, and buddy, I let them have it. <laughs> and she did. Everybody except Pastor Ken in Syracuse, New York, of the First Presbyterian Church. And Pastor Ken and his wife, Floyd, read the article and said, Honey, let's call this girl. Let's get to know this brilliant leftist lady. And in fact, if she would, let's dialogue with her. Let's take her out to dinner and let's just get to know her. And that's exactly what they did. It, it disturbed her. She, she didn't know people like this existed. So they took her to dinner and they had a great time. Rosario said, I started reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible for the first time. And I was so determined that it was not inspired. I was so determined that it was all fallacious and mythical and fable. And, and I was so determined. And, and yet I went to a party and one of my transgendered friends came up to me and said, Rosario, quit reading that book. That book 
is changing you. She said, but what if it's true? What if it's true? What if Jesus is a risen Lord? If it's true, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And her friend said, that's why I'm telling you, quit reading it. It's just brainwashing you. Then, one Sunday morning, she said, I rose up early, got out of the bed of my lesbian lover, and I went to church. (laughs) I went to church. Does anybody want to guess which church she went to? Anybody? Pastor Kent. She said, I went. She said, I kept going back. Until one Sunday, he preached on John 7, 17. And he read the words of Jesus where he said, If anyone wills to do God's will, he will know concerning the doctrine. And Rosario said, This verse exposed the quicksand in which my feet were stuck. I was a thinker. I was paid to read books and write about them. I expected that in all areas of life, understanding came before obedience. And I wanted God to show me on my terms why homosexuality was a sin. I wanted to be the judge, not one being judged. In every, 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 every other area of life, you understand and then you obey. But this messed me up. It's saying, would you obey me so that you can understand me? And she said, so it happened. She said, the unthinkable happened. One day, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. In this war, war of worldviews, Ken was there, Floyd was there, the whole church that had been praying for me for years was there. Did you hear that part? Years. Hey guys, in Austin, there are very few microwave conversions. There are some oven conversions. There is relationship and time, investment and energy. The church had been praying for me for years. Jesus won. He just triumphed. And I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck for me. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. But the, oh mercy, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then in community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I met Jesus Christ and He changed my world. He changed my life. That's her story. That is her story. The good news of the epic meta-narrative, the good news is this. Abraham and Moses and Ruth and Esther 
and Paul and John and Rosario. Their story can become your story. God will not make an exception for you, okay? Would you please get that out of your mind? But you just don't understand who I am. I have a PhD from the big UT, baby, and it, it happens right here. I mean, I, I know God worked that way with them, but you just hadn't met somebody quite like me. No, I haven't, but you're not scaring God, okay? God will say, you need to get over yourself, and you need to trust me. If you will trust me, no, 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 don't try to understand me. Don't try to figure me out. Just trust me. And if you trust me, then, then you will know me. You will understand me. So if you're here today, wouldn't it be a radical transformation if you, that PhD person that you are, that brilliant businessman that you are, that successful teenager that you are, wouldn't it be awesome today if you stood in a moment, humbled yourself, came down to this altar and said, I give my life to Christ. And one of these pastors comes up to you and says, we, we will help you, we will encourage you, and, and you'll go, thank you very much because that's why I'm here. Wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you are here today and you know the Lord. And yet you're not enjoying the Lord because now you are living the Christian life in a way that you did not enter the Christian life. You're trying to tell God he has to prove everything to you and God still, he won't even change the rules for you. And God says it doesn't work that way. If you want to know what I want you to know, if you want to know who I want you to marry, if you want to know if I want you to remain single, if you want to know if I want you to get this job, if you want to know if I think this is the church for you, then you have to trust me. you got to trust him. And if this is the church for you, I, I, I invite you to come and be a part of, of Great Hills Baptist Church. So many people are bragging about our church in the city today. Can, can I brag about our church for just a minute? Pastor aside, put, put him aside. If you want to come and you want to worship him, with your mind. And if you want him to save you and change you. And you want to grow deep in him. Then I think this is the church for you. I know this is an anomaly. I know this is a strange group here. Because it's not all raw, raw. How high we can jump and all that. It's more about Christ and the word of God. Following. Following him. In a crooked, perverse culture. And so I invite you to come. If, 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 if God is speaking to you and it resonates with you, then, then you come. So Lord, I thank you for these moments of invitation. Now as we stand in your name, as we stand in your honor. Father, we pray that you would draw people to salvation. Father, I ask you, Lord, to just keep on pounding their heart. Keep on letting them know that if they will believe first, then they will understand. And there's no other way. Be with the Christian, Lord, who's, who's walking, Lord, at a guiltiness away from you, that you would draw her back. You would draw him back. And then, Lord, I do pray today that you would add to your people. You would add to Great Hills, and you would add to our number, and that we would be a mighty army.
that really marches under the banner of the love of Christ and the wisdom of God. Would you do these things for us, Lord? Not that we deserve it, but we sure desire it. We desire you to move, God, so that Christ be praised. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me from your seat right there. Would you go ahead and stand? Terry's going to come and praise team's going to lead us in a song. And there will be deacons and pastors and people here at the front. And if you're that person that I was talking to a minute ago, would you be willing to believe in order that you would understand? Would you be willing to say, God, uh, you've given me this mind, you've given me these gifts, and I just want to give them to you and say, I believe, I trust in you, God. Here I come. I am not ashamed. Would you come? God bless you as you come.